Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. Before I share, I'm going to open up with prayer. Lord, some of the things we do in our society are crazy. And yet, some of the things you call us to also look like they might be crazy. But I pray this morning that you would speak to us and that we would learn the part of the beautiful life that you call us to, why it is different, why it is necessary, and why you are in it. Thank you for being with us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. If you missed my introduction before, my name is Vicki, and I'm the associate pastor here at Grand Valley. Um, We're at the point of the service now where I'm going to talk for about 15 to 20 minutes, and then we'll open things up for discussion, and then it will be time to go home. If you'd like to follow along while I talk, uh, and even answer some of the questions as I go along, you can open up. I'm going to do it myself right now, too. You can open up the YouVersion Bible app and go to the events section. And then you should be able to look for the uh, Grand Valley Church event. Oh, and it's not showing up for me. I hope that's just my phone. But if not, oh, there we go. It's there. So if you have trouble, just refresh it and it might show up there. So I am so excited that you are here this morning as we continue our Crazy Like Us series from North Point Church, in which we're learning how to be generous. Not just how to give, but how to be generous. Last week, during the discussion time, we had quite a few people talk about how they had been blessed by the giving of others. Many even mentioned the great givers of this church. And I am so proud to be part of a community filled with people who have a desire and willingness to care for one another. When we hear of a need, we have a desire to meet it. The difficulty is, sometimes we define ourselves by our desires, our intentions, and our random acts instead of our regular behavior. We think that because we can think of a story, in 2017, I gave blank to such and such, it makes us generous people. The problem is that occasional behavior does not define a person. In this series, we are learning about how being generous goes deeper than random acts of giving. We are learning that generosity is, and this wordy definition that I'm going to share with you, I did not come up with. It is from Andy Stanley. He's a uh, teaching pastor at North Point Church. I didn't come up with it, but it does fit some great points into these big words. So he says that generosity is the premeditated, that means you have a plan, calculated, you know the amount, designated, you know where it's going, emancipation, that means you're setting it free of personal financial assets. Most of us have given something to someone, somewhere, sometime. Andy Stanley makes us a promise that when we become generous, we will give more, save more, and consume less. Now I'm with some of you guys here. I think when I hear this message, that sounds fantastic. I'd love to give more, save more, and consume less. 
But how in the world is generosity the key to those things? He takes it even further. He tells us that the reason that most of us feel financial pressure is because we have never learned to be generous. Wait, sounds a little crazy, right? How is giving more going to have us have less financial pressure? Don't many of us here already know why we feel financial pressure? Why? Well, we've got to make more money, obviously. Income is the problem. But the problem when we blame our financial pressure on our income is that it falls apart when we stop to think about it. We know that there is someone, somewhere, or even many people who would look at our income and wonder why we feel financial pressure. As Brian told us last week, a full-time minimum wage earner in Manitoba is among the richest 5% in the world. I feel like I'm going to sneeze, so I'm just warning you now that it may happen. And yet, despite the fact that a full-time minimum wage earner in Manitoba is among the richest 5% in the world, the word that is most associated with the word money in North America is worry. So we have more money than a lot of people in the world, and yet we worry more about it than a lot of people in the world. So many of us worry things like, will I ever have enough money to buy a house? Will I ever have enough money to get a better car? Will I ever have enough money to get married? Will I ever have enough to get out of debt? And then in response to our worry, what do we do? We spend everything or more than we make. So we create debt. And then we have no financial margin. And when we have no margin, we have something to worry about. So we go around and around the cycle. We worry, we spend more than we make, we create debt, we have no margin, we worry, we spend debt, worry, and it goes around and around. As a result, our minds are always focused on the consumption of our money. We worry about the future consumption, we consume more than we can afford, we create consumer debt, and then we have no margin for future consumption. But let's take a minute to think about this. I'm going to ask you some questions. I'd like you to think through the answer. How much money would it take to break you of the habit of spending more than you make? How much money would it take for you to have more self-control about the money that you have? How much more money would it take to break you of the habit of using debt to get what you want now? How much money would make you content how much more money would it take to get you in the habit of living within your means and creating financial margin? How much money would it take for you to have more discipline with the money that you have? How much more money would it take to erase your financial worries? The thing is, more money is not the answer. More money does not guarantee more self-control more discipline, or more contentment. One of the questions I would like you to think about that we can discuss at the end is how does that phrase, more money does not generate more self-control, more discipline, or more contentment, how does that challenge your assumptions and your behavior about money? So more money does not eradicate worry. But don't we usually think that if we could quadruple our income, our problems wouldn't exist anymore? 
even if that amount of money would help, we're not going to get it. You're not going to quadruple your income. It's going to grow incrementally, and the bad habits that you have are going to follow you on to the next tax bracket. If your income grew 20% a year, it would not address any of the habits. You would not have more self-control. You would not have more discipline. You would not have more contentment. The problems will grow with the income because it's a spiritual issue. Our obsession with our money, our concern about our consumption, our worry about all of it, at its heart, is a spiritual issue. More won't fix our issues because more won't address the disposable income, consumer income mindset that these habits and behaviors come from. And I'd like you to think about this, another question I'd like to discuss at the end. How would your life be different if you were able to quit worrying altogether about not having enough money or the money you have being taken away? How would that change your financial decision-making? If we want to get off the crazy consumer train, we need to move from a consumer mindset to a generous mindset. Generous people don't participate in the standard crazy money cycle. They aren't driven by the consumption assumption that everything they receive is meant for them. Consumers may give occasionally, but they still assume that what they have is meant for them. Jesus addressed this kind of thinking when he shared a parable, and a parable is a made-up story to make a point. So he shared this parable with his followers. It's in Luke 12, starting in verse 16. If you want to look it up, I will have it on the screen, and it will be on your phone if you're in the Uversion app. So this is how the story starts. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. So this man was rich, and he had a year where he got even more. He is richer. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Now that sounds pretty practical. If that's what life is about, he was planning ahead for his future. Save it now so you have something for your future. Save it now so you can consume it later. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have stored enough away for many years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. It was such a great plan, if you have a later. But then God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? And Jesus said, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich, rich relationship with God. I want to discuss the wealth here a little bit. Because I think there's been a change in our culture's mindset lately. We've become less infatuated with the consumer mindset. Minimalism is a thing that's on the rise. People have started, they're collecting less things. Some of us still collect things, but others of us, we decide that we're going to collect memories. 
or we're going to collect something else. So even though we've stopped collecting things, we are still consuming everything that comes our way. But anything that doesn't have eternal significance is something that's us storing up our earthly wealth. At the end of this verse, you'll notice he mentions a rich relationship with God. But what does that have to do with money? Because this story is 100% talking about wealth, money. It isn't about time. It isn't about prayer. This is a straight line that Jesus is drawing between what we do with our money and our relationship with God. In the NIV, it uses the phrase, rich towards God instead of just a rich relationship with God. And if you take a look at human relationships, that can help us understand this spiritual reality a little bit better. How can someone be rich towards me? Someone could do something nice for me, they could buy me a present, or they could do something like that. But if someone does something towards someone I love, that's even better. An example would even be with my kids who are quite young. They're six, three, and one. And I don't think anything warms my heart more when I see my kids, especially when they are that young. And sharing is so hard when you're a toddler. But when they share something that is valuable to them with each other, that warms my heart. That is them, even though they're not doing anything for me, they are being rich towards me when they are rich towards each other. In fact, I try to make a big effort in my parenting to instill generosity in my kids. I'm not perfect at it by any means. But one of the ways I tried to encourage them to be generous is that I started a phrase that we said all the time. We share what we've got. Now, I know that's not grammatically correct, so it may be driving some of you crazy, but I came up with it when my oldest was two, and we're not changing it now. (laughs) It's memorized now. But that little phrase speaks to a bigger truth. Generous people don't assume that what comes to them is theirs to consume. The farmer in that parable that Jesus told assumed that everything that came to him was for him. He thought that was the point. And then he died, and none of it was for him anyway. It was all useless to him. We can collect all the things and all the memories we want. We can assume that everything that comes to us is for us and spend it that way, but it won't last. As much as I want them to, even the memories that I like to pursue and collect won't last. I will get old. I may get dementia. It runs in my family. My photo albums and my Instagram feed may be fun now, but they aren't forever. The items we collect won't always be there. They'll break, they'll wear out, they'll become outdated, or we'll die and have no use for them anyway. They aren't forever. Jesus' point is that there is more than this. There is more than this world. There is more than what that farmer thought there was, and there's more than we as consumers tend to think there is. What comes to us isn't necessarily meant for us. If we want to be followers of Christ, our plans for our money should encompass more than our own life and our own future. One of the most impactful moments of my life was when I was 17. And I was mad at God for a problem that a lot of people get mad at God for. I was mad about all the injustices in the world. Starving children was high on my list. 
Those little world vision commercials that were asking for money that you would share, they would actually make me mad at God because I was mad at him that those children existed in that situation anyway. In the middle of one of my rants to him, I felt God stop me with a phrase and he said, that's why you exist. And part of what he was telling me with that phrase that as human beings, we have a responsibility to one another. He designed it that way. That's what he intends. And I wish that I could tell you that then, hearing that, my entire life changed. And it did. But part of the reason it was such an impactful moment that I keep going back to is because I'm continually learning in my life just how much those words mean. And for me, they're so applicable as I try to learn how to be a generous person. Because I am a consumer. Guys, if I asked people to raise their hand about whether they were stuck in the consumer cycle or they had been, I would have to raise my hand as well. Often, I have participated in random acts of giving. I do like to give to the church regularly. But still, when I hear of a need and do what I can, that's one thing. But so much of my life has been spent consuming that there's so little margin to be truly generous. Even when I knew better, I fall into the trap of thinking that everything that comes to me is meant for me. I've had trouble getting off of the standard consumer roller coaster. It's our culture that I've grown up in and I've struggled to break out. But if we want to be Jesus followers, and I do, I don't know if you want to be one or are one, but if you want to be one, we need to learn to be generous because being generous is part of having a rich relationship with God, of being rich towards God. And generous people think like managers, not owners and consumers. Money comes to us and we don't automatically think that it's ours to save away or it's ours to consume any way that we want. We think it's ours to manage. Are we managing it well? Generous people aren't under the illusion that what comes to them is for them. They don't collect it for themselves and they don't spend it all on themselves and they acknowledge that how they manage their money matters spiritually. Now you may be here and perhaps you're not a Jesus follower and, I'm, and you're not sure that you want to be one. That's okay too. We're still glad you're here and you can play along. You're allowed to play around along. You're allowed to think about these questions that I'm going to ask and we're going to discuss and think about how your life would be like if you embraced these things. Jesus thought that was cool and his followers did it too. So I want to move into our discussion questions and I would like everyone to join in. Crystal has a mic. If anyone wants to say anything, you can just raise your hand, flag her down, and she can come to you. I'm going to check online to see if we've got any responses. Just a sec, as it loads. So for the first one, we did have someone respond here. Someone said, I agree with the phrase, and I have seen it in my own life. The problem is how to change the behavior. I know I can't do it on my own, but I don't seek out help either. I think that's a great point, and that's something that we may not cover at all today, but if you want to come back next week, we're talking even more practical bits on how we can apply this to our lives. 
Does anyone else have any thoughts on how the phrase more money does not generate more self-control, discipline, or contentment? How does it challenge your assumptions and behavior about money? It's, I think it's very challenging, obviously. <laughs> Otherwise, we would all be doing great and looking at you like, you have nothing to offer this morning. Um, but that's not true. I'm reading a book right now, and it has a really great statistic on this that we all we always like to say it's because I don't have enough money. But statistically and like very widely researched, only a maximum of a third of any single person's savings is dependent on the income they earn. The other two-thirds is completely dependent on how they choose to spend the money they get. And that was very impactful for me because we like the theory of, oh, it'll just be all better when I get more, when I get more, when I get more. And Steve and I often think about when we get in that mindset, if our newlywed selves had been given the income we have now as older adults, we would have thought, I'll never have a worry again in my life. (laughs) But we don't because we do it in increments. So... I think that was good for me to remember is that we need to stop looking externally for reasons to blame. I agree. I found that with our life as well. If I look back even 60 years ago when I had my first kid and I was looking at staying home and if I had imagined what we were making now, I would be like, no problem. There'd be no issue at all. And oh, look, my habits grew as our income grew. Anybody else have any thoughts on this? can move on to the second one. Uh, How would your life be different if you were able to quit worrying and not about not having enough money or the money you have being taken away? How would that change your financial decision making? For me, it would change my job. It would change where I spend my time. It would change a lot of my thought life. I wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. Anyone have any thoughts on that? Oh, good. None of you worry about money ever. We're good. Let's move on to the next one. Does anyone have any stories of how past choices to be generous and free up your money, how that has affected your life or affected you? This is where you don't have to be perfect, you don't have to be like generous all the time where you give all your money away. If you are one of those people, that's great, you can share as well. But if you have one story that impacted you where you chose, hey, this is not for me, I'm going to give it to someone else, and how that changed things for you, whether it was your outlook or something like that, I'd love to hear. We got some over here. Oh, and Alistair. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you. It's not necessarily a story, but um, I I can't remember exactly where in Bible it says that if you um, if you give more, that God will actually increase your prosperity, like further in the future, and Mm -hmm. like you don't have to worry like. Um, if you sit on a bucket of money, you know, and do nothing and like buy 10 iPods or whatever, you know, it's a, it, the, the better way would be to, um, like at least give a portion of it away. Mm-hmm. And it says in the Bible, and I, and as I said, I can't remember where exactly, but it says that 
because you're generous and you're giving, um, you're you're um, you're um, being generous, then God will help you feel more secure, even though you give more away. Mm-hmm. And um, and this this actually happened to me a number of times, and I I don't have any specific examples like things that. Um, when you give money away, you know, and not that necessarily you're waiting and like, oh God, when will you kind of um, give me back that portion? But on the long run, as I look back, even like five, ten years from now, I see it was a very wise decision. And this is how God, um, I guess, made me more um, stable in my life, even though I gave the portion of what I had away without necessarily knowing um you know, without necessarily knowing if uh, I will ever be, you know, I, not that I was expecting to be like rewarded for that, but I knew I knew I did the right thing, and um, you know, because God said, God says, you'll be better off doing that than just you know spending money on another piece of electronic junk, you know, that you don't <laughs> need. Yeah. I think Monroe has something to share too, right behind you. In in 2005, Evange and I went to uh, help rebuild after the hurricane in Grenada and with uh, Samaritan's Purse. Uh, we paid our way, and we paid for the supplies we used to build. These were the poorest of the poor people. Ninety percent of the buildings in Grenada were uh, impacted and, and damaged by the hurricane. So we were building for the poorest of the poor. We were building 10 by 14 buildings where we put a vinyl plastic around the outside and a tin roof on top and a door. And we were working with the people and they were so thrilled that they were getting something. They had been living in little shacks, like 20 of them, in a smaller place than what we were building for them. And we got so many big group hugs that it was hard to leave. I think Alistair had something, too. So I have uh, two quick comments. One is an example. Um, just uh, with family camp, actually, uh, Jill and I had the opportunity one time. I, I had a bonus at work, and uh, we had the chance to... We, we recognized that there was a, a family or two who weren't going to be able to come to family camp um, bec- for financial reasons. And so we just chose to say, you know what... Um, Brian, here's the money. You pick the family or, or whatever. Identify a family who could use this um, and be able to come to camp because of it. I've never been filled with such incredible joy as being a... I didn't even know who the family was. We kind of gave it anonymously, but I had my guesses. I don't know if I was right or wrong, but it gave me incredible joy to see see the families there at camp and being able to enjoy a vacation or a holiday that they might not have had otherwise. So that was an example from my life. The other thing, and maybe it's... I'm going to ask another question, if that's okay. We we heard about um, the rich man and kind of storing things up, and it it can't. Um, it just reminds me of how um, we have a mentality in our culture that we should be saving up for retirement, and once we hit retirement, we're going to. Ju- it's just going to be smooth sailing, and everything's going to be be good. We won't have any more worries or anything like this, right? And so we've got kind of like this half of the church over here who's in this stage where we're like, oh man, I don't have enough money. I got to save up for retirement. And we've got some people over here who maybe are 
in retirement or close to it, and I don't really expect an answer today, but maybe you can come tell me about it sometime. Does, is retirement what it's cracked up to be? And did, <laughs> did saving the money um, r- remove your worry? I mean, it's just a practical thing um, that I, I wonder about, and maybe there are some words of wisdom on, uh, on that topic. <laughs> Um, is this thing on? Yeah. So um, just to kind of touch up a little bit more with uh, what someone else was saying before about the, I don't know where in the Bible it says it, but it's kind of like, like I think God, it's like one of the things that he says, test me on, on this. If you tithe, like not that you'll get the money back, because that's not what it's about, but that you, you won't, if you're afraid to give money, because you're not because you're worried that you won't have it for yourself, you won't have enough to meet your needs. God's saying, "Test me. If you give your money away, you will not be missing the things that you need. I'll take care of you, and uh, you don't need to worry about it." And then another thought was um, that God doesn't need our money. Like God, God's so big and so strong, He doesn't need like my dollars that I've earned at, at my job, so that He can do His work. He doesn't need it. But 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 the point is, and I'm not an expert on this. I'm not very good at it either. Um, is that he wants us to give to show us that um, it's not all about us. Um, so when we hold on to all this stuff, money, um, our things, saying, I need this for myself, I'm, I'm scared to give it up, um, he's saying, no, give that stuff away. And this isn't so that I can have, so, so that God can have it. It's so that we can learn to exist without it. That That we can learn to trust in him fully because it's not about our paycheck. It's not about the kind of car we drive and that those things are going to give us security and happiness and joy in this life. It's, it's that God's saying, if you can trust me with this little bit of, of like 10% or, or even beyond that, if you can trust me with this, um, like he's just going to o- open up so much more stuff in our lives and it's going to be uh, just showing us that it's not what we can do for ourselves, it's what God can do for us. And it's like a practice thing, like practice giving away some stuff so I can show you that I am all you need. And I think that's, that's what I've learned, at least. Definitely. Anyone else have anything? Chelsea? Um, just to go on a little bit, what he was saying, I have a story about my parents. Um, when I was growing up, my mom got in a bad accident when I was like four, so she couldn't work. And my dad was working at a I don't know, somewhere. Anyways, he lost his job, and being older and didn't go, they finished school, finding a job in your, like, I don't know what it was, late 40s-ish, he was starting to do a paint job for himself because he couldn't find any work. So I remember one time he didn't have work coming in, and you just saw the stress of your parents. You don't know the real what goes behind, like, life of being an adult because you're a kid. But I remember my mom and dad tithed, every single Sunday, the exact same amount as like he was getting what his paycheck was. So they would tithe even when they had no money and I was working to help pay for bills and everything. Well, anyways, they couldn't afford their mortgage payment and they were stressing and I was trying to get work to try and help them out. And then my dad got a job for that exact same amount that they needed for their mortgage. The guy's like, I'll prepay you right now. And my dad's like, well, it's fine. I'll do it after. He's like, nope. Gave them the exact same amount. So when I look at my parents and they still tie them, like I need to do that more because when they were struck and stuck, they had nothing. They still tied. They still gave their money away. They still did everything, and God provided like immensely. So I just look at them and go, huh? 
I need to do that. Anybody else? I have found in my own life that the times where I held on to my money less, I was able to trust God more. And the more I trusted him, the more he proved himself trustworthy. So the times where I held on to my money less, I knew God more. And my faith grew more as he proved himself more and more trustworthy. So if you want to learn more about this, how you can move towards being generous and the promises, the promise of learning how to save more, give more, and consume less, or become more disciplined, or be more content, if those intrigue you and you want to learn more, I want to invite you to come back next week because we're going to hear from Andy Stanley himself. He's the guy that had all this stuff because I wouldn't have been able to come up with this stuff. I'm still learning this stuff. And most of this came from Andy Stanley. And it hit me. Even though I have had times of trusting God more, even though probably someone who looked at my finances and looked at all the numbers would say, honestly, you probably give pretty decent. This consumer mindset thing, and letting go of my money, letting it free, being intentional, making sure that I have, that all spoke to me so much. So if you want to learn more, come back next week as we hear from Andy Stanley, and he gives us a really practical message on how we can move towards becoming generous people instead of consumers. So we can learn to be managers of our money instead of slaves to it. Because the better we get at being generous, the more we practice it, the more we loosen our grip on our wealth, the more it will loosen its grip on us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the vast blessings that we have. Even just where we live means that we have more than so many more people. I pray that you would be with us, that you would walk with us and teach us how we can manage what we have to your glory, and to our betterment. Teach us the way you actually want us to be with what we have so that it won't consume us anymore and we won't just be little consuming monsters of our culture. Teach us how to be crazy with our money the way that you want us to be and not the way our culture is. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week, guys.